Can you tell me story again? Everything's bleeping, going crazy. And we are recording. We're alive. Woohoo! We're back. As you say, we're alive. Yeah, I always say we're alive. Yeah. I say that on my other show, too. Oh, okay. Good to know. Well, I don't, I don't mean to. It just what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, I don't like think about it. I just say it. Yeah, well, that's fine. It's fine. I'm oh, glad my, nothing's going wonky with my computer. Like, earlier today, I was trying to play a, a video on YouTube, and it would, like, crash for a second. Everything would come back up, but I was like, what the heck? That was a really vicious tackle by the cats over there in the corner. <laughs> oh, Steph, they're about to start. They're fighting. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Can't fight. No, my computer crashed at work today. Yeah. Well, I was in Excel. I had been working literally all day, and this stupid thing crashed. <laughs> I was so mad. Well, hopefully you had saved recently, so it's not like you lost a lot of progress. Um, it saved, so it it recovered. Oh, okay. Up to about like twenty minutes earlier, which is not terrible. Yeah. Um, but it would not let me save the document, like the original document. It made a copy of it, mm-hmm. which I then had to. Uh, so it got all screwed up. So it took forever to fix it because, like, it didn't save in the original document, and so things weren't lining up appropriately, and it was just a big mess. Yeah. I fixed it. Yay. Yeah, it just took longer than I thought than it should have, but that's fine. (laughs) Well, you know. Anyway, my cats are fighting. One on top, one is in the bottom layer of their castle, and the other one's on top of it. Oh. So, you know, cat castle fights. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's going to be the ruler. Anyway, speaking of shows. Yeah. This is our okay. show. This is our show. Who are we, though? Oh, um, what day is this? We are Grandma Tell Me a Scary Story. Oh, okay. Hey. I am Jeff. And I'm Rachel. I figure I'd call. I figure I'd call call myself before you take that one from me. Oh, right. I guess that's fine. Yeah, you never know. You might decide to take Jeff from me. Eh, maybe. I might have taken George from you. And then I'll have to be somebody else. Oh, that's true. Who would you be? I don't know. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Anyway, we're a podcast. We are a podcast. Yes, indeed. Not a major motion picture. Not a sailboat or a cruise ship or an airplane <laughs> or a spacecraft a or a satellite or no. a rover. Not following the logic here, but okay. There's not really any logic. It's just stream of, con- it's it's stream of conscious associations. What could I say? Right, but mine didn't go there. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Whatever. I'm a random I'm person. I'm a random individual. Well, that's okay. I did the same thing the other day except I brought up um, summoning demons 
I don't know why. Like, it just, I'm like, well, like, I don't know what they were talking about. But I was like, you mean summoning demons? I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, I thought that's what we were talking about. I mean, that's the only thing I want to talk about is summoning demons. Yeah, apparently we were talking about rearranging furniture. I just wasn't paying attention. I mean, if you rearrange furniture a certain way, you could probably summon a demon. Right. I mean, so I think I was still right, but. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I can make it make sense. Yeah, exactly. It works. You yeah. get me. I do. <laughs> That's why we're a team. That is. Uh, yep, I'm the I'm the Alfred to your Batman. Sounds right. Yeah. I'll deal with that. <laughs> it's acceptable, I guess. Thought you'd be okay with it. I am. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Anyway. Um happy March, everybody. I guess. That's right, it is March. And while we're recording this, it's my sister's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Rachel's sister. Yes, happy birthday, sister. Oh, mine? Yeah. Well, I guess by the time this thing pops up, it's going to be happy belated birthday, but still, whatever. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Happy belated birthday. Yeah. I'm sure you've already texted her or called her. Oh, yeah. I've called her a few times, but... Yeah. See? So... Talked to her on Saturday and Sunday and today. (laughs) Yeah, see? See, so you already told her. I got her these, or I sent her these um, chocolate-covered strawberries, mm-hmm. and it was like white chocolate, or half of them were white chocolate, and it was dyed yellow, and they had smiley or emoji faces on them. Oh, cool! <laughs> she thought they were really funny. I thought they were that's, funny too. That's really cool, though. Yeah, they were neat. They're like yeah. really big strawberries, like giant ones. Nice. And the other are just regular chocolate, so. Nice. I thought it was a good present. Yeah, I think so. I think so. They looked tasty. <laughs> I'm really hungry. <laughs> I'm going to be hungry the rest of the week. Yeah, that's not cool. I'm not, not excited about that. I would not be excited about that. It's okay. It happens. Anyway, yeah. Wanna, anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about this week because I was about to, I was about to ask what are we talking about today? So today we're gonna talk about a disappearance. Oh, because I like a good mystery. Oh, exciting! Although it's an unsolved mystery, so ooh, just a warning. Those are those could be even more fun. They can be. All right. So. We are going to talk about the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Johnny Gosh? I think that's how you say his name, for sure. Oh, okay. It's G-O-S-C-H. So, I think... Yeah, we'll go with it. Gosh, right? We'll go with it. It sounds right. I think so. Um, so, we're starting out in West Des Moines, Iowa. Ooh. On Sunday morning, September 5th. 1982. Ooh. Johnny Gosh uh, set out right before dawn to begin his paper route. Oh, paper boy. Mm-hmm. Typically, he would wake his father to like go with him mm-hmm. on the paper route, help him out. But for whatever reason, on this morning, he didn't do that. Hmm. He only took their uh, the family dog, which was a miniature dachshund named Gretchen. I love those little dudes. They're so cute. Little wiener dogs. Okay, I'm glad you glad you put that in layman terms because I did not know what that was. 
Yeah, we used to have one. He was adorable. Snickers. Oh, he hated me. <laughs> yeah, well. No, I don't think he hated me. I just know that he liked to bark at are you not thinking? Are you sure you're not thinking of the beagle lady? No, lady was quiet. You're right. No, Snickers might have just wanted to like nip at my heels. I don't know. Oh yeah, that he did do that. He didn't like guys. Yeah, Much. that's right. He didn't bark. He just liked to nip at me. Well, yeah, he did that to everybody. He was an ankle biter, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, Gretchen. Gretchen <laughs> yes. went with him. The wiener dog. Mm-hmm. Um. So there were other paper carriers. For the Des Moines Register, which is the paper that he delivered, mm-hmm. that reported having seen him at the paper drop, pick like the paper drop where you know you pick up your newspapers. Mm-hmm. I was never a newspaper delivery person, so yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what that meant exactly, but yeah. So the paper drop is where you pick up your newspapers, um, and that's the last sighting that can be corroborated by multiple witnesses. Mm-hmm. It's not the last sighting. Necessarily, it's just the last with like multiple people. Mm-hmm. Um, so John, aka Johnny David yeah. Gosh, was born on November 12, uh, 1969. Parents are named John and Noreen Gosh, mm-hmm. and he has been missing, like I said, since September 5th, of 1982. Um, he was just shy of his 13th birthday, really, like just. You know, a couple months short there. So he was 12, um, in case you can't do math of 13 minus 1. Whew. You know, the big numbers. Yeah. Um, So, like I said, he was was seen at the paper pickup, pick, drop, whatever. Picked up the newspapers, started off on his route. Um, One neighbor who was named Mike, uh, I didn't see the last name said that he saw Johnny talking to a stocky man in a blue two-tone Ford Fairmount mm-hmm. car, I guess. Uh, and it had Nebraska plates. He said he wasn't really sure what they talked about because he couldn't hear them. He was watching, he was like in his bedroom, and so he saw them from the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said that he also saw another man who was kind of like following behind Johnny after Johnny had like started walking away. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where this second man came from. That's just, you know, what he said he saw. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. Yes. Um, and then, so the second witness is a man named John Rossi. Um, okay. He was also in, you know, in the neighborhood. Um, and he said he saw a man in a blue car talking to Johnny. And this is a quote from him. Thought something was strange. But not strange enough to mosey on up there and see what's what, huh? I guess not. I don't know. Uh, he said he did look at the license plate, but was unable to actually recall what what it was. Um, at the time uh, he's also quoted as saying I keep hoping I'll wake up in the middle of the night and see the number on the license plate as distinctly as night and day but that hasn't happened um, so that's kind of interesting because he also ended up going to like a hypnotherapist type thing mm-hmm. um, 
and he was able to like tell the police a couple of the numbers from the license plate at that time. But he also told them that the plate was from Warren County, Iowa. Hmm. And the other witness also saw a blue car. But he definitely said Nebraska plates. Hmm. So, a little strange. Yep. Um, so, Johnny's parents actually started getting phone calls from customers along the paper route. Because they were basically complaining that they hadn't received their papers yet. <laughs> and I guess, you know, I, it's probably, I mean, it's small, probably a small neighborhood. Like, everybody knows Johnny's their paper boy. Yeah. Like, hey, um, Johnny's parents, you know, he hasn't delivered our papers yet. So, John, Johnny's dad, went out and did, like, a search of the neighborhood around 6 a.m. Um, he almost immediately found Johnny's wagon that was still full of newspapers and it was only two blocks from their house. So it doesn't seem like Johnny actually got very far into his paper route. No, no, it does not. Which makes sense with the people calling like, yeah. Um, yeah. So don't know what happened, but it must've happened relatively quick into the route. Yeah. Um, so the, his parents basically immediately like contacted the uh, West Des Moines Police Department and reported him missing. But we'll we'll see. <laughs> he wasn't like immediately reported as a missing person by the police. Mm-hmm. Um, his mom, Noreen, uh, said that it took about forty five minutes for the police to actually arrive just to take the initial report. Mm-hmm. Which, when you have a 12-year-old who has gone missing, or anyone, really, who's gone missing, like, that's a long time. Like, 45 minutes? You can be very far away in 45 minutes. Um, and later on, she's pretty open about, like, how critical she is of the police investigation, like, as a whole. Um, and, like, as well, like, she's really critical about... At least at the time, there was a policy that, like, Johnny wouldn't be able to be classified as a missing person until he had been gone for 72 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I'll talk more about... She wrote a book, and I'll talk more about that later. But she talks about that in the book. Um, So the police initially decided that Johnny was probably just a runaway. But they did um, change their minds and decided... That he had most likely been kidnapped. Uh-huh. Um, but they were unable to establish an actual motive for the kidnapping. And they ended up turning up very little evidence and didn't arrest any suspects in the case. Nice. Yeah. So Noreen, again Johnny's mom, reports yeah. that a few months after his disappearance, he was spotted in Oklahoma. I don't know where she got this information, but yeah, claims it happened. Um, apparently, there was a boy who yelled to a woman for help and was then seen drag- being dragged off by two men. And according to Noreen, this boy was actually her son, Johnny. But, like, nothing ever really came out of that mm-hmm. lead. Um, yeah. So, over the years, like, several different private investigators have... Worked with the Goshes on the case. Um, 
but there's still just like not really been anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in 1984, Johnny's photograph actually appeared alongside um, a picture of shoot, I just forgot what Juanita Rafael Estevez on a milk carton, like, and they were basically across the country, and they were the second and third abducted children to have their um, like stories put out that way. The first being uh, Etan Pats, which that name sounds really familiar. Probably something I've heard on a podcast. Probably. I can't think of who, why. Okay. Um, So the case generated like a lot of national national interest. Um, And a lot of that was like as, or because really um, Johnny's mom, Noreen, was like really vocal about the inadequacy of the law enforcement, of law enforcement. Yeah. Especially when it came to like investigation of missing children. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, that's not an uncommon thing to hear, especially, like, in this time period. I think there's a lot of cases like that, or where that comes up. Yeah. Um, so, in 1982, she established the Johnny Gosh Foundation. And uh, with that, she visited schools and talked about, um, basically, she talked about sexual predators and kind of, like, you know, how to avoid them. Not yeah. bad. Um, and she also lobbied for the Johnny Gosh bill, which state legislation uh, to have state legislation. Oh my goodness. Legislate. Le- okay. Law. <laughs> <laughs> Law. We're going to go with that because I barely can't talk today. Anyway, uh, to mandate an immediate police response to reports of missing children. This uh, bill did become law in Iowa in 1984. And similar identical laws were later passed in, like, Missouri and seven other states. Mm-hmm. So, like, something good came out of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in August of 1984, Noreen actually testified in Senate hearings on organized crime, talking about organized pedophilia and its alleged role in her son's abduction. Which is kind of interesting, I guess. She actually began receiving death threats, which is a little crazy. That's weird. Yeah. So we're going to kind of not leave the case, but we're going to look at something else, like connected but not for a moment now. Okay. Um, so in 1989, there was a man, a 21-year-old man named Paul uh, Bonici. Okay. And he told his attorney, John DeCamp, that he had been abducted into a sex ring with Johnny as a teenager and was forced to participate in Johnny's kidnapping. Okay. So John DeCamp met with uh, Benici and believed he was telling the truth. Noreen later met with him and said he told her things he could only know from talking with Johnny. Okay. Uh, he said that Johnny had a birthmark on his chest, a scar on his tongue, and a burn scar on his lower leg. Um, and the description of the birthmark had actually been, like, widely circulated, but information about the other scars had not been made public. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he couldn't have found them out. Um, yeah, but... 
just, yeah, it would have been a little more difficult. Um, yeah. And Vinici also described a stammer that Johnny had when he was upset. But the FBI and local police actually didn't believe that he was a credible witness in the case and have never actually interviewed him. Okay. So that's kind of interesting, I think. But, yeah. Um, so Benici also accused the Republican Party activist and businessman Lawrence E. King Jr., um, who served as director of the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha, Nebraska, another Nebraska um, tie-in here. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, he accused this man of running an underage prostitution ring and victimizing him uh, from, like, a really early age. Then in 1990, um, a county grand jury actually declined to charge King, finding that the allegations were a carefully crafted hoax. Um, which is a bummer for Benici, I guess. Um, and he was actually indicted on state perjury charges. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm taking that seriously. Yep. Well, I mean, you kind of have to. Yeah. But uh, so a federal grand jury also declined to indict anyone for the pros- child prostitution. But yeah. They did actually return an indictment um, against King for fraud related to the credit union. So I guess he wasn't completely innocent. Um, Yeah. So, and then also, um, what's kind of weird, well, actually, King did get to go to prison, but for the fraud, not for. Yeah, well, yeah. 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 So the bank was shut down in November of 1988, and it was raided by the FBI, IRS, and NCUA. Um, Then on February 27th of 1999, the U.S. District Court of the District of Nebraska actually awarded Benici a million dollars in compensatory, compensatory damages and punitive damages. Which is interesting, right? Um, Yeah. Then he sued King, who failed to respond to the civil lawsuit. And then, of course, there was a default judgment was entered against King because he didn't show up. Right. Um, So I'm not sure exactly why Benici got a million dollars, but it's a very interesting, like, side note to this case. Yeah. And there's more, um, but we're going to take a break here and get back to it. Okay. Waiting, 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 waiting. And we're back. Okay, and we're back from break. Yay. Yes, we're back to being alive. Yes. We're back with more about this case. Because like I said, that's not the end. The end. So, there's a few things that have gone on. Oh, since then. So, according to Noreen, about 2.30 a.m. one morning in March of 1997, she was woken up by a knock on her apartment door. And you know who was waiting on the other side of the door? Was it her kid? 
I'm gonna put that in air quotes. Her, her kid. Her kid. Her yeah. son. Um, who is now 27 years old at at least at that time, mm-hmm. and he was accompanied by an unidentified man. Hmm. So what's 27-year-old Johnny doing showing up at the door at 2.30 in the morning? Yeah, what is he doing? Noreen said that she was able to immediately recognize her son, even though she had not seen him in, you know, like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, because he had opened his shirt to reveal the birthmark on his chest. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and she's quoted as saying, we talked about an hour or an hour and a half. He was with another man, but I have no idea who that person was. Johnny would look over to the person for approval to speak. He didn't say where he was living or where he was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in an interview in 2005, she also said the night he came here, he was wearing jeans and a shirt and had a coat on because it was March. It was cold, and his hair was long. It was shoulder length, and it was straight and dyed black. So, like, apparently he didn't look at all like her kid. <laughs> like, no, no, it doesn't sound like... Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, okay. Um, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but then she went to the... After the visit, though, she did actually go to the FBI and had them create, like, an image of what she said... Johnny or the visitor looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also published self published a book in 2000 titled Why Johnny Can't Come Home. Um, and I, I kind of touched on that briefly. Like, I didn't really say anything much about it other than that. She talked a lot about like the failures yeah. of the police and everything in that. Um, but yeah, she also talks a lot about like what her understanding is of what her son went through mm-hmm. based on like original research of various like private investigators, like I mentioned, and also her son's visit. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, well, if he actually visited or not, we don't know. Yeah. So then on, on September 1st of 2006, Noreen reported that she had found photographs left at her front door, some of which are uh, she had posted she posted on her website. Um, there's a color photo that shows three boys bound and gagged. Um, she claims that a black and white photo uh, appears to show like her son also gagged with his hands and feet tied, and um, like with a brand on his shoulder. Okay. Um, and apparently it's basically like right around the time that like it looked like him from basically when he was taken. So like. Okay. Um, and then a, the third photo shows a man possibly dead who may have something tied around his neck. She says that the man was one of the perpetrators who molested my son. How does she know that though? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, she later said that the first two photos had originated on a website featuring child featuring child pornography. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, that sounded more accurate, honestly. Uh, and then on September 13th of the same year, 2006, 
There was an anonymous letter that was mailed to the Des Moines police. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to read it to you. It's pretty short. Okay. Gentlemen. It's kind of sexist, but okay. Apparently there's a lot of men, please. Someone has played a reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. The photo in question is not one of her son, but of three boys in Tampa, Florida, about 1979 to 1980, challenging each other to an escape contest. There was an investigation concerning the picture, that picture, made by the Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff's Office. No charges were filed and no wrongdoing was established. The lead detective on the case was named Zalva. This allegation should be easy enough to check out. Um, so that's the end of the letter. Mm-hmm. And um, Nelson Zalva, who is mentioned in it, um, does look, he worked for the Hillsborough County uh, Florida Sheriff's Office in the 70s. And he said that the details of the letter were true. And adds that he actually investigated the black and white photo in 78 or 79, like before Johnny's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, he basically said, like, there wasn't actually a crime there. Like, he talked to the children in the photo, mm-hmm. you know, when it happened, like, at that time. Like, it was some kind of stupid, but a game that they were playing. Yeah. Um, kids are kind of dumb sometimes. Yes, yes, they are. But uh, Noreen still just, like, claims that the picture is of, like, her son. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but like I said, as of at least, you know, now, 2021, yeah. um, the case has basically gone cold. And like, there were never any made or anything. But that's not where we're going to end. Oh, we got more. We have more. Because, yeah. So we have another missing paper boy. Oh. And I don't have as much detail, but we're going to talk about him anyway. Okay. And you'll see why when I finish. Okay. Or actually, you'll see why, like, before I finish. But Hopefully. Hopefully really quickly, yeah. Yes. So, oh, uh, we Eugene, kept in suspense. We're going to talk about Eugene Wade Martin, who was born August 17th, 1970. Okay. And he went missing August 12th, 1984. Hmm. Uh, he was a paperboy in West Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. And he disappeared without a trace between 5 and 5.40 a.m. Um, he's also presumed to have been kidnapped. But, yeah. So, on the Sunday morning, get on a Sunday. What is it with Sunday mornings? Well, because I guess that's like the big newspaper delivery day. Yeah, actually, that doesn't. Yeah, that would make sense right. given that those papers are always like the big massive. ones, Sunday, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So this is August twelfth, nineteen eighty four. Like I mentioned, um, we have thirteen year old Eugene Martin. He left his home about five a.m. to deliver the uh, Des Moines Register newspaper. Same newspaper. Just wanted to point that out. <laughs> about the same age, you know, it was a Sunday morning. Anyway. Um, in the area, he was wearing like blue jeans, a red shirt, a gray pullover. Apparently, mm-hmm. I guess it's early, so it's probably cold. Yeah, it's um, probably a bit brisk. Yeah. Um. So he normally delivered papers with his older stepbrother, 
But on that day, went alone. Why? Why are we leaving these kids alone? I don't know. But like very like just a lot of things that are very similar to the Johnny Gosh case, which was a couple years earlier. Yeah. Um, and I guess so like the fair was in town or something, and I guess he wanted to make extra money, so maybe he just didn't want to share the route. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, anyway. Witnesses saw him talking to a clean-cut white man in his 30s sometime between 5 and 5.40 a.m. Um, some stated that the two appeared to be engaged like in a friendly, what they would call like a father-son conversation. Hmm. But others recalled like um, seeing like the teen like folding his papers and talking to the man between like 5.45 and 6.05. So... Pretty close, like, right around the time when he disappeared, basically. Yeah. Um, so then between 6.10 and 6.15, uh, his bag was actually found on the ground with, like, some of the folded papers still inside. Uh-huh. So people were seeing him right before that. Within, I'd say, within, like, a 30-minute period, which is not that long, but... Yeah, um, because remember, he left his house at, like, 5, and he's gone by 6. Yeah. If his bag is found at 6.10 to 6.15. Then customers started calling to report that they hadn't received their papers. Um, They actually called, they didn't call his parents, though. They called, like, the the newspaper delivery place. Uh Um, But, yeah, they were calling to say, hey, we haven't received these. Um, and so the manager is actually the one that went out, and he's the one who found the bag. Oh, okay. But he found the bag and delivered the papers. <laughs> I guess, I don't know if he just thought, oh. He might have just thought the kid quit. Which is very possible. I mean, he's a 13-year-old kid. It's 13-year-old kid, it's a paper route. He got bored, whatever. Yeah, it's probably a, it might have been a pretty common occurrence. Like. Yeah. But... So, um, around 8.40 a.m., people realized he was missing. Or they might have realized, it might have been a little earlier than that, but that's when the search for him actually began. Oh, okay. And that is the last time he was actually seen, was around by 6 a.m. that morning. Hmm. Um, so, federal agents said, like, at the time, there might be a connection to the disappearance of Johnny Gosh, who had disappeared two years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, he was he disappeared in September of 1982 and this is August of 1984 so it's you know very similar time yeah to... very similar it's just not yeah um, authorities said that they were treating the Martin case as a kidnapping and they had issued a nationwide bulletin for a man described as between 30 and 40 years old 5 feet 9 inches tall clean shaven with a medium build and if you remember, the first witness in the Johnny Gosh case said he was a stocky man. So I guess you could kind of go stocky and me. Like, I don't know. Like, Yeah. It just depends, I guess. Um, but nothing, like, came of it. And, you know, there was not, like, yeah. Um, so, and then in July of 2010... There was an interview um, 
with uh, Jeannie McDowell, who was um, his aunt, Eugene's aunt, sorry, not Johnny's yeah. aunt. And she said that she believes the cases are connected, but she really doesn't want to think about like what might have happened to them. Um, and she definitely does not believe that Eugene is still alive. Well, as bad as it's say, she's definitely got a more realistic outlook than... Yeah, um, she's quoted in the interview as saying, I hope that he died instantly. I hope that he didn't suffer much. Um, yeah. Um, she also said, like, Eugene was the baby, and when he left, it just killed my brother. Um, and basically, his father, you know, once he disappeared, spent, like, all of his time trying to find him. Yeah. Makes but, sense. Yeah. Um, like, there was at one time, like, a reward of 90000 or $94,000 uh, offered, like, for information leading to the discovery of either boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it kind of went away, too, because there were no leads that came out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then James Rowley, who is now retired up uh, Des Moines police detective, he worked the Martin case, and he worked the case until 2001 when he retired. Oh, wow. Like, he didn't give up. He just, um, yeah. He said, like, you know, he says, like, that he recognized the similarities in the two cases, but he questions if they were actually linked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, in an interview he gave, he asked why the two-year gap, um, yeah, it just wasn't normal how it, that just wasn't how it normally worked with serial killers and kidnappers. A criminal's growing appetite for crime doesn't allow for lengthy holding patterns. Yeah, unless he... Um, and then he also asked, like, where was he before 82, and where was he between 82 and 84, and then where was he after 84? Right, right. But, yeah. Um, so, again, like I said, he has not actually been seen either. Mm-hmm. But that's not all either. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> there's more. There's still more. Yeah. Because there was another Des Moines teen who disappeared. Oh. 13-year-old Mark James Warren Allen. And he disappeared in 1986. Mm-hmm. So another two years. Um, so it was, I think, like the day before Easter. Mm-hmm. In March 29th. 1986, um, he told his mom that he planned to walk to a friend's house down the street, but just vanished. Um, And, yeah, which is strange. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I lost my place for a moment. Um, (laughs) So, there was a police officer, basically, who um, worked on this. And, you know, said, like, the case still haunts me. But they don't think that, you know, this one will 
like was connected necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, so it's kind of weird. Like, so like previous like media reports kind of thought that Alan was like, like the third Iowa paper boy to go missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then of course, like he, that's not really, it's not the same. Not like the same time of day, not the same. Same really anything. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it turns out like, and his mom didn't actually realize that he was missing until the next morning. Hmm. Because uh, I guess he was kind of like a troublemaker and it probably wasn't like the only time he'd kind of been out all night sort of thing, like with a friend. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, but yeah, that one I don't have as much information on, but yeah. just to say that um, he is also still missing, actually, like, uh, it's like been about three decades now, and all three boys are still missing with, like, no leads, mm-hmm. um, like, no bodies, no nothing. So they really did all three disappear without a trace, which is... yeah. And they were 12, 12 and the other two were 13. Like, I don't know that they weren't necessary. Like, some people do think they were connected, but. Yeah. Like, the one um, detective mentioned, like, where was this guy between before that and after that? Yeah. But we don't know. Like, it could have been. Anything. They might not be connected at all. Two of them might be connected, and the last one might not be connected. It's just all... Right, right. And it could just be, like, they are connected, but they use, like, different people to pick up three different kids. You know, that would be likely, too, especially if it was, like, a big ring. Which is what his... Which is what Johnny Gosh's mom believes. Yeah. She's convinced... Like, she's... From what I remember... Um... I didn't really see a lot of it in what I was looking at, um, but I watched something about it. And yeah, she definitely believes that like her son was abducted for like basically like a child like prostitution ring mm-hmm. and is still basically being held wherever he is now. Like, but she still does claim like, you know, he came and visited her and all these things. But, like, the photos that she said, you know, these are my son, were proved not to be her son, because the photo was older than, you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, no, I don't know. It's just, like, because I've heard about, the, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Lisa Gosh case. I had not heard of the other two boys before. You'd, I hadn't heard of any Mark. of these. But, like, I have heard of the Johnny Gosh case before, just, I think, because of the oddity that is, like, Noreen, like, how much of a spectacle she made. Not, like, that's a bad thing, necessarily. Like, she was very vocal about it. But I think more, like, in later years when she's talking about, oh, well, he came and visited me in the middle of the night, and, like, these pictures arrived, and, like, all these things, you know, like, I just think that's probably why, like, I've heard of that one and not the other two. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is very strange that three teenage boys all went missing, in the same area with like no trace especially the first two Eugene and well Johnny and Eugene because they worked for the same paper 
same time of year. You know, just very similar cases. Yeah. So, but yeah. So that is the uh, disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Hmm. Still missing. Still in my head. And this goes back to one of our rules, people. You know something? Say yep. something. Yep, because we can still solve it. Yeah, together. Maybe. Okay. Floyd, no, you're not part of this case. You can be if you want to, Floyd. Don't let her stop you. Floyd wants to solve it. No, you're no dogs allowed. Sorry, Floyd. Oh, thank you. Sorry, the dog just sneezed on me. Well, yeah, you keep telling him he can't do stuff. I know, so he's going to sneeze on me and tell me he can. Yeah. That's fine. But yeah, so that was my story for the week. Nice. Not nice. Um, very cheery, but nope. um, <laughs> is that what I'm here for? I'm here for... Well, if you wanted a cheery show, you shouldn't have come to this podcast. Right? I think... I don't know. Like, I just, I think it's a very interesting case. And I do think, because, I mean, it's, you know, crazy that, like, three children went missing and, like, nothing ever showed up. Like, how does, I st- it still boggles my mind that, like, people can just literally disappear and, like, never be found again. Yeah, that's interesting and weird to me, too. Like, I'm like, but they have to be somewhere. Yeah, they sh- they need to be somewhere, or at least like, they should you be. You have to be somewhere. You can't just be nowhere. Yeah. It bothers me so much. I, like, I think about these things at night sometimes. <laughs> I can't sleep. I'm like, where are all these people that are missing? Because they have to be somewhere. Like, they're on the earth somewhere. Yeah. We always have to find them. Yeah. One day. But yeah, so that is that. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to say? I don't think I do, no. Okay. That's fine. So I guess on that note, we will catch you all next time. Yep. Don't forget to send us a Gmail. Yeah. Or a Twitter. Yep, or, or the Instagrams. Yeah. Send us your stories if you want. Yeah. Leave us a review or a rating on wherever you do that. Yeah. Yeah, I might be able to find it. You can share us with your friends. Or your enemies. I don't care. Or your enemies. We don't really care. Just share us. Share us with your in-laws, maybe. Yeah, they kind of, they probably hug that border friend and enemy. Yeah, they're on that frenemy line, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, do that. Yeah. And have a good night. Yeah. Night. And stop recording. Good night, good night. Good night.